Fan Morning Show, Sports Night 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Who? Doggy. It is uh, as New Year's Day. Basically. First day of the NHL season, Gunner. Oh, mm. I know you've been you've been waiting a long time for this. Leafs get their season underway tomorrow against the Montreal Canadiens, but a triple header of NHL action tonight on Sportsnet, starting with Preds Lightning 5:30. Connor Bedard making his NHL debut in Pittsburgh against the Penguins 8 o'clock, and then the night wraps up. Kraken and Golden Knights as Vegas fets their first Stanley Cup. Uh, championship in franchise history. Yep, NHL uh, hates Canada. Just starting it off uh, on a hot note there. Uh, yeah, just what everyone wants, lightning and Preds to get your NHL season going. I'm so excited for that middle game there. Yeah. And I know it's the cup champs in Vegas. But you're right, you know, just what all hockey fans want. Vegas and Seattle mm. and Nashville and Tampa all to right. get things started. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Cannot wait for that middle game, though, honestly. Nailed that one, NHL. Yeah, the middle game is is clearly the marquee game. They should have just cleared out, honestly. No other games. Hmm. Really? I mean, nobody's forcing you to watch the other two games. No, I honestly, it really irks me. I think <laughs> the, Le the Leafs should open the NHL season. <laughs> I'm sorry. They should. We matter. It matters here uh -huh. the most. They fund the league, and I got to wait one more night. So I'm excited. I'm happy. But I got, you know, I am who I am. I got to sneak a little gripe in there. Yeah, well done by you. Um, the <laughs> all, me, all three, a minute. All three games in this country, naturally, on Sportsnet. Uh, all three games on ESPN. So, yeah, you can tell the ESPN machine. <laughs> Gee, I is, wonder who tilted things there. Is starting to churn yesterday. The Golden Knights are on Monday Night mm -hmm. Football. Connor Bedard is showing up on... Pat McAfee's show. So I think, yeah, uh, you're right to talk about the Maple Leafs, obviously garnering some eyeballs, <laughs> despite the fact that they are perennial chokers in the postseason. They'll get their day tomorrow. Today, it's about, I think, for me, Connor Bedard. Totally. And that Pittsburgh Penguins team, which is, you know, has added Eric Carlson, uh, obviously, as Kyle Dubas, is one of the most intriguing storylines of this NHL season. But this Bedard thing, he's going to be. I mean, maybe you can throw Austin. I Madison. heard him and the Kyle, the other Kyle. They're going to get in a fight at intermission. Oh, Kyle really? Davidson there. Because, oh, okay. of course, it goes back to their time and they of, tried to maybe course. make the flurry trade. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, yeah, uh, and Kyle Davidson spoke out of school. Um, but, yeah, I, so correct me if you want to throw Austin Matthews into the mix mm. here. But to me, Connor Bedard joins an elite group of can't miss number one overall yep. prospects and Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid. And now it's Connor Bedard. Totally. And, and, just like LeBron James in, in the NBA, those guys were so hyped, so hyped, so hyped. The pressure, the magnifying glass was so, so intense on those guys um, that it's it's incredible how quickly they acclimated themselves to the pro game. It feels like Connor Bedard's going to be the exact same way. We're in, we're in an era of sports where we're pretty lucky to have some generational talents uh, emerge and, and hit the ground running. It feels like Bedard's going to be that. And I, uh, he hasn't played an NHL game, a regular season game. We've seen him in the preseason. We've, we've seen him at the prospects tournament. It, it feels like this can't fail for Chicago. No, it, it really doesn't. I mean, everything you read coming out of camp there is just how impressed all the guys who have played in the NHL for a long time are. And say what you will about that Blackhawks roster, but the Nick Felinos of the world, Taylor Halls, they've seen some talented players and they know 
They know what it looks like there. I think you nailed it with the three on that list. Matthews is a very different case. One, the fact that the Leafs were in the mix for that play, not that they weren't for McDavid, but the mm-hmm. fact that the Leafs were in the mix there, it definitely churned up a little more interest. And I think with Matthews, there was also the element of the unknown. It's this kid playing in Switzerland. It's a right. different path, which should have been red flag. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Should have We should have known the contract stuff was coming when we went to Switzerland. Just saying. In terms of Bedard, I think he's right on par with those three in terms of expectations, in terms of the hype that's there. And quite honestly, based on the very, very, very small sample size, I think he's going to be right there. I'm not saying he's going to be in the conversation for the heart at the beginning of this season. But honestly, if you told me he was top seven for the Rocket this year, I'd believe it. These are lofty, lofty expectations for a kid. But given the little bit of talent they put around him and just everything we've seen and how special he is, I honestly think it's in play. Yeah, I can't wait for that game. My my kid is excited for that game. He's like, yeah. "What does Connor Bedard play his first game?" Now you gotta tonight, watch buddy. out. You gotta watch out for that. What? Well, there's just okay. We're doing little little parent stuff here early on, but you gotta, you know, I go to Leaf games. You know, I was working there the last couple of years, and just a lot of kids who I don't know. Maybe they like the Leafs, but oh, I like Ovechkin. I like Kro- no. Mm-hmm. You like the Leafs, and I almost had this. I wasn't gonna sneak this in here, but. The NFL London game was on, and I think my kid might be a Jaguars fan now, which cannot happen. Why? Well, there was a guy in the crowd just like a Jaguar. Oh, my meme. Everybody loved it. That guy was so super serious wearing the suit with the Jags face. That that guy, that guy's my kid's favorite player now, anyways. (laughs) But anyway, but you got to watch out. Like, we Uh all love Bedard, Mm -hmm. but you can't let the sexy Connor Bedard pull him away from the the blue and white. That's all. I don't know how to go about that. I'm just like... Be forewarned. No, my, my kid is well aware of sports bigamy and how it's 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 frowned upon. Yes, in in this household, yeah, you can be intrigued by other players. You can you can be interested totally. to watch them. And look, we all love Sid. That could be his Sid. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. But mm. just you gotta you gotta keep it between the lines. Then. Well, That's he'll be all. he'll be locked in uh, to Sportsnet today for triple header. All right, um, the Lightning. Open up today's slate, as you mentioned, against the Nashville Predators, who everybody wants to see. Sexy, well, even, sexy. even a Lightning team now, uh, I, I don't know how entertaining. I mean, I guess maybe they're going to to need to up the offensive pressure mm-hmm. um, because they'll be without Andre Vasilevsky for at least a couple of months to start the season. I mean, this leads nicely into our Leafs conversation yes. because the, the the roster was finalized. Here's the... Here's the goaltending duo the Tampa Bay Lightning will take into game one today against the Nashville Predators with Andre Vasilevsky undergoing surgery and, yeah, missing the first two months of the season. Matt Tompkins, Jonas Johansson. Okay. So one of those guys has a grand total of zero NHL games of experience. These mm-hmm. are guys that are not they're, no. they're not early 20s. They're like late 20s yes. dudes. Um, one of these guys has zero games of NHL experience. The other guy has 35 with a career save percentage of 887, which, hey, hey, listen, I know Martin Jones has had a rough go of it in recent years. Looked pretty good in limited uh, preseason time with the Leafs this season. That was the legitimate fear for the Leafs in putting him on waivers. It was a situation where obviously you're not going to carry three goalies if, if yep. your top two are healthy. Like they're, what, within $7,000 of of the salary cap uh, entering the season, which is, uh, we were just talking about before the show, that there is some necessity to get as close to the salary cap as possible, considering they have LTIR cases. I, I don't know. 
and it's not important. That just know that 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 yes. is the case. <laughs> it is shocking to me that they they manage like the the biggest headache, the biggest worry for the Leafs going into today and finalizing their roster and being cap compliant was losing their one NHL caliber goaltender who was below the NHL mm-hmm. surface because they're an injury away from Keith Petrozelli being in the NHL. And lo and behold, Martin Jones is not going to be a Vesna candidate, but they get to hold on to him at the Marley level. I don't know what they call the Vesna in the AHL. Maybe down there. Maybe. Probably not. I got to be honest. I don't think that's how it's going to go, but it's important to sneak this guy through. Uh, it was actually funny. I was listening back to our conversation we had with Frank just to remember how incredulous I was about him womp womping hockey. Uh-huh. And we talked about this, the idea of needing to sneak, sneak Martin Jones through one, because it potentially, potentially, obviously nobody could have been that interested at this point in time, but more injuries can crop up. It gives you another chip if that is something you need available to you. It also allows you the wiggle room now that if somebody gets hurt or whatever the case is, this is a semi-viable option for the short term. I don't think anybody, if no. if Wall or Samsonov goes down for some Vasilevsky-length thing, that's not the case or where you can just roll with Jones, but this gives you the ability to, you know, if it's a, ah, he's going to be out a week kind of thing, you can cover yourself there. And Petrozelli. We all tried to talk ourselves into it last year. Right. Thank goodness we don't need to do that because he's very tall. That's the thing. He's very, very tall. Yeah. And he had good numbers in a limited stint with the Marlies. But you listen and you talk to all the goaltending people and they didn't seem super, super sold on it. So. No, I mean, you, you, Dennis Hildeby has yes. seemingly jumped over him. And, and those guys will be battling for starts at the, at the Marley level. Um it's a situation, yeah, because Martin Jones has been awful. He's had the same percentage under 900, I think, the last mm-hmm. three years. I, I, again, has he's also been plying his trade, and I know there was a little, uh, a little Seattle in there, but a lot of, uh, a lot right. of bad teams. Yeah, no <laughs> question, that's a big part of it. If they had lost him on waivers, there's absolutely no doubt that they're in a market, in the market, mm-hmm. to to replace what he provides from an insurance uh, level. Uh, at the AHL level, not an issue, though. He's able to, to slide through waivers. I guess the, the Maple Leafs were pretty convinced Sam Lafferty would not. not be able to slide through waivers and they'd get to stash him at the AHL level uh, as they send him to Vancouver for a fifth-round pick. Um, they free up his million-plus in, in cap space. This is the guy that was playing in the top six at, at times this preseason. Goes to show you how how quickly things can change. I And he's a guy that's double-digit goals yep. in the National Hockey League. He's a quick dude. And you know, Gregory, I guess, is going to provide w- w- what some of the stuff that he was capable of, of providing for the Leafs at the NHL level. But but uh, Sam Lafferty fared the well, part of the uh, Jake McCabe trade at the deadline last year. Yeah, he was, and that was a part of it, right? It was definitely about Jake McCabe, and let, let's be honest, it wasn't about Jake McCabe. We have, to, we have to call him by his official name in Leafsland, Jake McCabe, because he got half his salary min- retained. We mm-hmm. feel very differently about this player. It is full freight than we do at the $2 bucks he's making for the next year. We talked about this, I think it was last week, with Lafferty, the idea that that is a piece that by no means are we going to be sitting here in November going, ah, the Leafs are cooked. They traded Lafferty. The season's over. There's no way they can replace this guy. But I would be shocked if by the time the deadline's not rolling around, I'm not saying it's going to be on the top of Treliving's list, who, by the way, mm-hmm. we're going to talk to today at 8.30. I'm going to talk to Leafs GM Brad Treliving a little later on the show. But I don't think it'll be at the top of his list. I think it's going to be that blue line as we're all looking to. But what does every team that considers themselves a contender do? They want to go out and get a, maybe he's a different spice, but a Sam Lafferty type, a guy who provides you X utility, making pretty cheap money on an expiring deal. It is, it is exactly the type of player this team will be looking at. And hey, 
Vancouver stinks. You might be able to go get him yeah. for that exact same fifth rounder with some retention. Who knows? And last piece on Lafferty, I think the other part of this needs to be stated as well is that the because of his cap being over a million, I do believe that part of it would have stayed on the books even if he did clear. So I think that was the other machinations of it as well. The fact that Gregor makes literally half of what what he makes at the 750, or I don't think or I guess they would have announced it yesterday, but it's the league men there. That's what makes the difference there as well. So there there's a lot to We're look at. We're talking with that. about it's ridiculous. Like like a couple thousand bucks. Like yes. literally, yeah. Couch cushions. <laughs> Li- literally. Go, 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 go down. Well, after, I mean, no, that's after, quite a couch that you well, got no. where you can find a thousand bucks in let it. Let me finish. Okay. If after a concert, and I know like everyone's Wait. using debit these days, but if after a concert or a Leaf game or a Raptors game or Drake, Drake oh, was there all week, if you took all of the change and stuff mm, that was found on the floor of mm. Scotiabank Arena, I'm not saying it's necessarily a thousand, and then you go up to the mahogany suites where who knows, oh, the odd yeah. bundo's slipping out of Shanahan's yeah. pocket in there. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm just saying it's not out of the realm of possibility no. you could find a thousand dollars there you're not wrong it's a great point actually thank you yeah like yeah just you're right you, you get enough human beings <laughs> into the building it. people are dropping stuff i mean or yeah, worst case scenario goods this is the simpsons of like you could sell goods for money but or just things you find on the floor somebody's dropping an iphone you can hawk that thing <laughs> no iphone i would hope they try and track down the rightful owner yeah, yeah like after, some gold after rings after that if it doesn't happen sure. my my wedding ring flew off at Scotiabank one time i had to get a i, I was the most i can't believe we're talking about this i'm all over the place i warned you this is going to happen to me i'm very very excited i know about this hockey. is hockey day for but, you uh when I got a wedding ring, part of it, I don't know, maybe I'm scared to get married. Who knows about all that? But I, I didn't like the feeling of a ring on my hand, so it was way too big for me. And I remember I was at a Leaf game, and I was just clapping, like, woo, and it just flew right off my hand. Some guy three rows down was like, anybody? And I'm like, oh, great. Oh, my god. Yeah. Did you realize it had happened at the time? Immediately. It oh. was, and it, you could just feel it, like, shooting off yeah. your finger. Yeah. So there you go. I don't okay. know what the point of telling that well, story. That, but here we well, are. they they could have used that ring to to potentially pay the difference. Could have between... got there. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's that, Sam Lafferty that's why and somebody we're talking else. About that. Right. All right. Uh, yeah, we're gonna circle back you around keep me to on hockey. the rails today. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll make sure that I'm paying attention. Uh, we're gonna circle back around to hockey, and as as mentioned, uh, Leafs general manager Brad Treliving after eight o'clock. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't quickly get to not quickly, not quickly. Well, we but I mean, quickly off the top of the show because <laughs> I know what happened on Saturday and. This is Tuesday, and it's a long weekend. And the Jay season ended what on Wednesday, but they a hundred years ago. They they they're still very much in the news. <laughs> you think? As, as we were anxiously awaiting Ross Atkins' turn at the, at the microphone and and how he would go about answering some of the questions that we had and everybody had about the deployment of Yusei Kikuchi very early in a baseball game in which his hundred. Plus, million-dollar man Jose Barrios was dealing uh, as well as he has maybe in his entire Blue Jays tenure. Well, w- we got quite a response. Here is Ross Atkins from Saturday talking to the assembled masses about the decision-making process and John Schneider's decision to go to Yusei Kikuchi instead of Jose Barrios early in that game. When that decision occurred, I found out about it when you did. Uh, when Yusei was getting warm in the first inning, it was obviously very clear that we had a strategy to potentially deploy. There was no plan to concretely deploy that. John Schneider made that decision to deploy that, and <clears throat> that, that's, what, that's what occurred. Basically, all of Blue Jays Nation, if there is such a thing, and the fan base and the city was angered when Barrios got pulled. He looked like he had 
the best stuff, frankly, I've ever seen him have. You're sitting there watching the game. What are you thinking at that moment? Yeah, I was surprised he was coming out. I, w- I was surprised he was coming out, but I understood the strategy, understood that it would be uncomfortable. Um, I thought it was a very courageous decision that had a potential outcome that people would disappoint, be disappointed. Okay. Uh... I'm sure everybody or most people have heard or at least read the quotes uh, that occurred over the weekend. Also, there's a a Thursday press conference that will be headed by Mark Shapiro later this week. So the story obviously not going anywhere. So to me, there's one of two things happening Mm -hmm. here. And it's eye of the beholder stuff. One... He's lying, right? Like, it's an organizational decision-making process that that leads to Schneider getting some advice in the pregame meeting and that if, if he feels he can go counter to, mm-hmm. he's going to, to risk his job security. And Ross Atkins knows that it is the organization maybe not explicitly making this call, but, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's him, it's his analytics department, and while he might not be in the meeting, it's the people that that he's hired and mm-hmm. decided are going to make the decisions in that meeting, acting as his proxy. And this is him saying, John, I know this sucks for you, but this is part of the gig. You're going to wear this. Mm-hmm. This is not going to be on me. This is going to be on you. Two, which might even be worse, mm. honestly, he's telling the truth. John Schneider didn't come up with this at a whole cloth because there are obviously people who are looking at the the potential scenarios of of the game and and the idea of getting the twins left-handed hitters out of the game early and how that could set them up for future success down the down the line but it's John Schneider throwing what he's seeing with his eyeballs completely out and and making the decision to go to Yusei Kikuchi in relief with a man on for the first time this season in the most important game of the season and even still, like, there's there's huge blame to be put at the feet of Ross Atkins for what we saw on Saturday. Because even if that is, he's telling 100% the truth, that it's John Schneider, maybe not acting entirely on his own, but he gets final say. And that's the way we do things around here. There is a level of protection that you can offer to your manager by saying, hey, we win as a team, we lose as a team. That was maybe one individual's decision, but nobody here has any doubt about the process that went through, that he went through to come to that decision. This is on all of us, not one individual person. But if he is telling the truth, John Schneider's way worse than I ever thought. And I didn't exactly think he was manager of the year material. Well, he's also, if that if that scenario that played out, that this was Schneider's call based on the information he had available to him, yada, 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 he is also the greatest actor I've ever seen. Because... Did he look happy? Like, just body language doctor stuff. It's unquantifiable. We all have eyes. We've all interacted with humans in our life. Now, his face is a little red from time to time to begin Mm -hmm. with, so maybe we'll just throw that out. But he looked pretty red-faced. He did not look happy. He did not talk to Jose Barrio. If this is his decision and he had conviction in it, don't you think there would have been a little, hey, bud, you did great. We know how it went. Pat on the butt. Send him on his way. Be fired up to hand Kikuchi the ball. I think that's more what it would have looked like than sauntering out there, pointing to the pen, 
just stand, like it did not look like a man, and this is unquantifiable, but I think it, there's merit to it. That did not look like a person who was excited to be making that decision. Okay, so let's play out that scenario. Sure. So in, in the scenario that you're talking about, whether he was explicitly told this is how it's going to go, yes. or he felt pressure because of all the resources And I think that those are, are kind of the same thing, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, you're right, because the, the likelihood that the organization is going to say this is the way it's going to go down, and if it doesn't, you'll be you'll be out of here. As opposed to, why don't you guys have a meeting about it? And hey, th- this guy's just going to no no thoughts, no mm-hmm. comments, just observing, curious about the process. He's going to be in the meeting too. If if that's the way it went down, and John Schneider, like every fiber of his being, didn't want to go out to that mound and take the ball from Jose Barrios, and then you know days removed from from that decision. Blowing up in his face, and mm-hmm. I know the Blue Jays didn't score any runs, but all the runs that were scored in that game were, were scored off of the guy that uh, he put into the game, relieving the guy who looked uh, at his most dominant. If that's the way it went down, how must John Schneider have felt watching what we all watched oh my God. on Saturday? And I get it. Like, this is, there's one of, there's 30 jobs in the world mm-hmm. where you're, the manager of a major league baseball team, and that's desirable. And in a big market where the Blue Jays are willing to go into the luxury team. tax yeah. and, and there's investments being made, uh, not just in the baseball operations department, but in, in the building. And, you know, you get 50,000 people in the building down the stretch when you're trying to punch your ticket to the postseason. It's a fervent fan base and, and the TV ratings. Are, it's a very, very high profile gig to be the manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. But to not have the backing of your bosses, the people that put you into that spot, and and beyond that, not have their support, but be singled out specifically in the manner that he was on Saturday, I don't know how that's tenable for John Schneider. Like, we can have the discussion about what's going to happen on Thursday and Mm -hmm. and how this impacts the, the job security of Ross Atkins, if I'm John Schneider, and I, I get it, he's got a couple more years, and again, you, you don't want to walk away from a dream job mm-hmm. and, and millions of dollars, but how on earth can you step back into that building in the coming weeks leading into a, a very pressurized season in 2024 with the knowledge that if anything goes haywire, it's going to be you in the crosshairs, and you're not going to get even a modicum of support from your superiors. No, no, I th- I think that there's that's very very important to point out. The other part of it as well is that let's say, and again, I think you were kind of hinting at this. Let's let's just say what a lot of people are thinking that Shapiro is going to come out on Thursday, and whether this announcement gets made ahead of time or whether that is the announcement is that there's a new GM or there will be a new GM, and Ross Atkins is no longer the GM. I think a lot of people think that is a possibility that we mm-hmm. hear that later this week. Let's say that happens. That doesn't embolden Schneider or remove any of this because, you know, sometimes I'm sure it's a touch overstated, but do we not think they're tied at the hip and the thinking? I know the whole point of having a GM is the layer of insulation, and we see it everywhere. We see it with Masai. We see it with Shanahan. We see it with Shapiro. But do you not think that he's sitting there going, yep, that's my baseball guy. That's the decision he wanted Mm. to make. I got no problem with it. So how can you feel like just because there's a new GM, you now have the backing or you have the support, or there's even any type of fresh start or forget fresh start just a mini reset when there's still the guy at the top and he's gonna be at the top i i gotta say through all of it the 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 
most galling part of Saturday might have been I was surprised to see Jose Barrios removed from the game because at the very least, Insane. like the the you you're aware of what happened in the pregame meeting, like you and. <laughs> And I know Ross Atkins <laughs> did talk about, hey, yeah, I, the, the strategy, you know, I, I understood it, getting the lefties out and blah, 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 blah. But he like, talks about it like I talk about it. Like, oh, you know, I did see I that. I found out when you found out. So, like, the, the scenario never occurred in your brain despite your, <laughs> maybe not even direct conversation with John Schneider, your direct conversations with the person that's in the analytics department mm-hmm. Who's maybe not even heading that that pre-game meeting, but a part of the pre-game meeting that you're so flabbergasted by the idea that this might be taking place. You're surprised. You're you can knock you down with a feather that you were surprised <laughs> that that Jose Barrios was lifted early on in this game and that you say Kikuchi was was entering. That's the part that Man, you can. I, I like to give people the benefit of the yep. doubt. Whether they're, uh, I like to believe that people are telling the truth, mm-hmm. right? Until there's a growing list of reasons not to believe them. That's the part that, like, just from a logic perspective, how can you? How could you expect me to believe that you're surprised that that you said Kikuchi's coming into that game in the fourth inning? The only way you can be surprised by that is if you are being willfully blind to the information around you. That feels like honest to goodness, complete head in the sand stuff. Hey, you know, I'm just picturing his neighbor. I know they were on the road, but let's just imagine this was at home. Hey, excited for the game today, Ross? Uh, Honestly, have not thought about it at all. (laughs) Did not workshop a single scenario (laughs) in my head. Oh, that's weird, because I've been in a nervous knot thinking about all those things all day. You know, that leads to another question, and it's been, you know, it's been a very big talking point with this front office kind of from the beginning, but it's it's all across sports is, and this moment calls for more candor than I think other moments do, but... How much do they owe unvarnished candor, decision-making? You know, this is, and again, we're talking about it with the Jays now. Talked about it with the Leafs a ton last year. Of who who pushed the button to yeah. reel back Sheldon Keefe's tongue and tell him what he's allowed to say and not say? And guess what? We never found out the answer to that question. And if, so how much how much do they have a, uh, a burden of proof? Or you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. How much honesty do they owe the fans? When you win, none. Like, you don't For have to sure. tell us anything. Like, that, that's, you can lie directly to the you fans' faces. tell us we didn't even win. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody cares. <laughs> but, yeah, when things go haywire, um, yeah, it, it, there's going to be play, uh, blame thrown around. And, and yeah, you, you rightly open yourself up to, to lots of criticism. The, what gets me about, I mean, there's so much of this that gets me. But what is a running theme throughout the tenure of this, this Blue Jays iteration of the front office is what you're talking about, the messaging, right? The, the the idea that this team had days and days and days to go through the possible scenarios, the questions that would be asked, the the responses that would have been given on, on Saturday, mm-hmm. and that's what they came up with. Now, if you're being generous, and again, it, 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 there's not a 100% through line of, of sense to be made here, but <laughs> if you're being generous, you could say, Hey, Ross Atkins went into Saturday understanding that the public perception is that this front office is too hands-on with the baseball in-game decision-making, right? Mm-hmm. They don't believe that John Schneider has autonomy. Right. What we're going to tell the media and, by proxy, the fans mm-hmm. on Saturday is that John Schneider gets a lot of information. I'm not even in the meetings. It's John Schneider running the meetings. It's his decisions. And, and we're going to go so far as to say that we're surprised sometimes at the decisions that he makes 
Um, but he's the guy making the decisions. Again, if if that's the 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 messaging that you want to or the the strategy that you want to take going into Saturday, I can sort of sure. I can sort of see that. But the idea that you wouldn't also see that that type of messaging would result in rightly people looking at you and saying you're you're the bosses here. You're throwing your underling under the bus. You're making him the responsible party for one of the most excruciating, head-scratching, painful decisions in recent Blue Jays history. Can I can I offer one more quote that irked me to death? Okay. Uh, paraphrasing here, but uh, this was said. I'd love for you to have the opportunity to hear from John. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, make him a You're his boss. Uh, Tell him to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, the just lack of thought, lack of understanding, and, you know, Again, people like to make fun of him for, oh, Robot Ross, but that is the stuff that lends credence to that, that, okay, make him available. Is there some CBA rule where a manager is not allowed to be compelled to talk after the season is over? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the case. Guess what? Guess what? I bet, regardless of the rules in the CBA, I bet John Schneider would willfully tell his truth on this one and let us know what happened. Because if you're going to, if you're going to take off the shackles and say, go ahead, John, tell him exactly what happened. Because again, I don't want to sit here and say that he's lying. I just refuse to believe that based on, based on what we know about the history of the game, based on how he looked making the decision and based on what we heard Saturday, that that came from Schneider and Schneider alone. So the, the idea of, I wish you could hear from him, and again, maybe there are some rules or reasons why that can't happen. But again, it's the messaging. It's very tone deaf because he's your employee. Make mm-hmm. him available. Let it be clear. Let us see the light. So, you know, what's the old Dan Rather? Like sunlight is a great disinfectant. Mm-hmm. Let us see it. I need, I want to know what happened here. And I know everyone else does too. We're going to talk to Shai Davidi after seven o'clock. I, I, for the life of me, I, I can't recall whether it's common to have Ross Atkins and then days later, Mark Shapiro speak at the end of the season. It seems a bit odd that one, he's, rem- he's speaking in general and two, that he would be speaking days after so I feel like last year he spoke, but it was in relation to, hey, the renovations yeah. are actually starting. Well, I don't think it was a state of the union like this is going to be. Yeah, and maybe that was the original intent of Mark Shapiro taking to the not podium on, on Thursday. It, it certainly is not anymore. Can you imagine? Uh, before I take any questions, I would just like to talk about the 100 level. Yeah. Don't, if, I, if I personally could offer some advice... Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, I wonder if that's not the strategy, not the strategy, but the intent of him coming to the podium on Thursday to I'm give sure an update on, on the, the construction progress of the 100 level renovations and how successful they thought the, the stadium renovations, mm-hmm. uh, the, the outfield um, gathering spaces, uh, how, how, how great that turned yeah. out last year. It, it, that's... Very uh, oh. small part of of what people want to hear. How cool is the Corona Bar, guys? Yeah. Do not care. <laughs> yeah. Do not care. I I think I would still put it at well under fifty percent the chance of Ross Atkins being relieved of his duties by Thursday, but the percentage jumped by twenty percent for me after yep. watching what I did on Saturday. I I can't imagine going into that Saturday press conference. There was much of a discussion about maybe needing a new general manager to to helm this mm-hmm. Blue Jays team. I don't know if one press conference can get you fired, but if if one could, 
that would be as close to to it as I've ever seen on Saturday. I personally didn't think I could hear a worse thing in a postseason presser than when the Leafs told me they got more respect in the handshake line from Tampa. <sighs> that was that, that was rough. That was the lowest it's ever got. And there was nothing quite as defeatist as that of mm-hmm. them saying, oh, boy, we sure gave it to him. But, man, that is as, that is as bad. And, honestly, I've been, I've been trying to think because say what you will about Dubas in this town and, boy, has there been a lot of ink spilled. There were people on the other side of it. There were people who agreed with his vision. There were people who liked what he was doing. I think even the people who are most bullish on what Atkins has done to this team, even the people who are talking themselves into it and believers can see the tenor of this right now and forget about the tenor of the relationship with the fan base. It's the relationship with the the manager. And then we haven't even talked about this yet. The players, how do they feel about that being the guy calling the shots? So I, that is honestly like, you know, there's been Rob Babcock eras and you know, there's been dark times for Toronto teams. I cannot remember it being quite this hot in, in honestly a incredibly long time. Yeah. And, and, the discussion about whether some of the off-field discord, the off-field uh, interactions, the off-field culture is mm-hmm. impacting the the play on the field now is is a legitimate discussion. One that I didn't anticipate having, but yeah, you can talk about the dysfunction that's happening at the very top, mm-hmm. maybe leaking its way onto the field. And as part of the reason that this team, frankly, underperformed to expectations and ability through 162 games and then two postseason games. Yeah, I'm seeing a little bit of this on the text line, so I just want to uh, acknowledge this. People saying Schneider did talk. He talked after the game. I think there is a massive difference between hearing from John Schneider moments after that game ended or, you know, 45 minutes, whatever it was when he actually spoke to hearing from him after everything we heard on, on Saturday. So I just just want to get that out there. I know Schneider, Schneider has had his chance to talk, but... Again, this is, it's impossible to know how free was he to speak? Did he feel like he was free to speak? Are those the exact same thing of being told not to or feeling like you can't? These are massive conversations, but so I just wanted to get that out there. Yes, he has spoken, but I think there is a massive difference between speaking immediately after the game and speaking after that. Well, and then also responding to your boss saying that it's all on you. Yeah, I don't even know. (laughs) Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I there's a, Do you think he'd go full Kevin Cash? I don't know. There's there's a sliding door scenario in which Ross Atkins has, yeah, the same memorable postseason media availability on Saturday, but it's a Saturday of a long weekend. We're, we're taking to the airwaves on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are going to have their say today, um, and they're going to be heated about it. But, it, you know, it's the Leafs season starts <laughs> yep. tomorrow. The Raptors are already underway in their mm-hmm. preseason. The, the rest of the Major League Baseball playoffs, they've been super fun. So we had good. the best game of the of the postseason to date yesterday between the Braves and Phillies that the conversation does kind of slip back into the background. This, this Mark Shapiro press conference on Thursday is going to keep this story energized throughout the course of the totally. week. Totally. Which is another layer to this. Anyways, lots more on, on well, I, one, Ross Atkins. One coming quick up later more on. thing on it. You mentioned the timing of it on the uh-huh. Saturday. I heard I was talking to some people, and I realized that uh, a lot of these people were going to be upset. Regardless, they would have. It couldn't have mattered. They could have told you to pick sure. a time, and he would have spoke, and they said, "Ah, that's not good either." Did you have? In my opinion, the the right time to do it would have been the Friday to do it in the news cycle, but I understand that you want to give yourself some leave time. Did you have any issue with them speaking on the Saturday of a long weekend? Because even a Friday is, I mean, you you think about a Friday news dump. Yeah. No, I know. And and you're not going to wait until today. No, today would have been way too long. Yeah. uh, A a lead time between 
the, the baseball game again on Wednesday. Yes. Uh, yeah, to to wait almost an entire week to 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 speak to the media following that, I don't think would have would have flown. Like Ra- it, obviously, it wasn't as bad the end, but I feel like the Raptors waited a really long time last year. But obviously, very very different circumstances. It was uh, again. We'll talk to Shadavidi after seven o'clock, and this story is going to stay in the news uh, all week long, leading up until Thursday when Mark Shapiro takes to the podium. All right, when we come back. Uh, We'll, we'll have some thoughts on week five of the NFL season, which wrapped up yesterday. Also mentioned that best playoff game of the Major League Baseball playoffs that so was, far. That was the best playoff game since the Cubs uh, Guardians World Series. Honestly, that was it, so good. It was pretty, pretty <laughs> awesome as the Braves finally get off the mat after not scoring for a game and a half, despite having the best offense uh, the Braves did during the regular season. All right, when we come back, that and a whole lot more. As the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Breaking down the biggest stories in Toronto sports. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. in the last segment we were talking about Ross Atkins and the disaster that was Saturday that you can not when, good when you win you can you can say whatever you want you can act Very however true. you'd like when Bill Belichick is racking up mm. six Super Bowl titles you can you can wear the hoodie you can mumble through answers uh, you can do we're on in Cincinnati uh, and and that's like cute and funny yeah it's like oh Bill man I wish my head coach was as you know angry to the media as Bill <laughs> Belichick is or as disdainful to the media as Bill Belichick is, what is different is when you've gone through the last close to half decade without Tom Brady, you've mm-hmm. had the lack of success, and then you go through a two-game stretch in which you're a minus 69-point differential. You look like one of the bottom three teams in the NFL. Those post-game media availabilities have a different tenor to me. I... I, I I well, one, I'm laughing at Bill Belichick mm-hmm. now, right? Yeah. And and two, I'm thinking, no, actually, you got to go above and beyond here and explain yourself and try and defend your record post Tom Brady because it's, it's not great. No, it's not. I, it has been fascinating to watch the dialogue in coming out of New England. I mean, national media as well surrounding this because it is the we always talk. It's the running thing of you know what what length of grace period do you get bought by a championship? Well, apparently it's four and a half years. Uh, if you had a 20 plus year decade dynasty that included six, six Super Bowl rigs, it's that's fine. Uh, apparently. And I don't even begrudge the people for feeling that way. The question I have about this is that, you know, there's so much, there's so many layers to this. He is 30 wins away from passing Don Shula for the most all time. Right. Obviously, obviously that means a ton to him. The relationship surrounding Kraft and Belichick and Brady, it's all very interesting. It's not always as rosy and sunshine as you would imagine it was with all the success they've had. I wonder how much it matters to the Patriots that he gets that there because this is a team that could entirely be in a tank position to get Caleb Williams. And I'm not saying this is the case, but if you told me Bill Belichick gets his hands on another generational quarterback and all of a sudden things are... No, I'm not saying what they were, Mm -hmm. but... 
they're the Steelers where it's okay, 10 wins every year and you're just back to respectability because I'm not that likely to happen in your say they do end up with Caleb Williams, right? Uh, And they they end up as a one or a two win team this season. Bill Belichick is going to be 72 next year. Next season in year one, even with a generational mm-hmm. quarterback, like you, you don't win well, very so, often. Like Andrew Luck is like the one example of, of his team having success. There's been individual success, no doubt. Mm-hmm. And CJ Stroud, like he yeah, looks yeah. good. Bryce Young, less so. Um, but very like the, 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 the history of those first overall, even generational talents being immediate impact makers, yep. It's it's a very short list. And again, Bill Belichick's seventy two. Yeah, he, he so he's going to go through what a, a couple more years of of being at the helm of a very mediocre team. So the question I and I want to ask Peter King about this is just is it if he has any examples? Because generally speaking, when a team turns things around, it is a complete overhaul. Mm-hmm. This is exactly it. It's like maybe Caleb Williams comes in and it's not Bill Belichick. It's I would, I'm not not anybody on the staff now, but Coach X, who's mm-hmm. there. Generally speaking, that's the way it goes. But generally speaking, coaches do not have the track record that Belichick has. It is a it is a one of two. I suppose you could throw Andy Reid in there in terms of resume. It's Shula, it's Reid, and it's and, it, and it's Belichick in terms of like you know active guys in a Shulaism. But you understand what I'm saying there. So I think that there will be a maybe grace period is too strong of a word, but they will want to give him an opportunity to turn this around. I don't see them just throwing him overboard at the side of the year and doing a complete refresh. It seems odd to say because how, how can, how else can you change things? But it is so tough to just throw that away when he is now effectively. And I know it's not a good one, but the face of the franchise, honestly, no, he is. I I wonder from his perspective, and I, I understand, like his his legend is cemented in New England, no matter what, right? Like they could, can never win, and they could every every week they could lose by thirty points. Yep. It doesn't matter, uh, and it, and everyone can rightly point to Tom Brady winning the divorce and being the major reason why yes. they had a two decade run of success. Doesn't matter. He was still the head coach, and mm-hmm. he was a part of it. Um, does he want to go through this? Because again, like how how many more years is Bill Belichick going to be? in the position of NFL head coach, does he want to go through a rebuilding process with a, with a Caleb Williams? I, I, but is the record more achievable somewhere outside of new England? I wonder what the appetite would be for him to completely start fresh. Cause on one hand, to your point, it could be easier if let's say, you know, team, let's say it's the Brandon chart. Staley just, is <laughs> reading my mind. But, I right? mean, that's, that's the most obvious yep. situation, right? It's a team that can't play defense, but yep. has a ready-made quarterback and, and pretty damn good offense. Let's get Mr. Defensive mastermind in there to turn that thing around. Yeah. There, there is, I do think there's some merit to that, but I also just think that you see what he's built there and, it's the ultimate kind of what matters most to you, Tess, right? Like he's got his kids on the staff. He's obviously super comfortable. That's his life in Massachusetts. And I think the other part of this that you have to have to take account as well that we're probably kind of forgetting because it's been so bad lately is the ego and the arrogance. Mm -hmm. You think he doesn't think Mm -hmm. he can... I know he's not putting it all in his head on Mac Jones saying, ah, this bum stinks. I can't win with him. And there's definitely more problems there than just Mac Jones. But he also chose Mac Jones. Well, there's something to that as well. Belichick, this is the LeBron conversation. If Bill Belichick, the GM, could just get out of Bill Belichick, the coach's way, imagine what he could be there. I mean, you don't need me to run it down here for you, but the drafting record has been brutal. They actually hit on a couple picks this year, but that's neither here nor there. So I do think he's sitting there going, "Ah, if you just give me a quarterback who could play, I can't figure it out. 
figure this out. Not to the level that it was, mm-hmm. not to the run that he and Brady went on, but definitely enough to get his 30 wins that he needs. Well, and I mean, to that point as well, does he want to depart the, the place where his legend yeah. will, will never be tarnished with this type of finish to his yeah. Patriots career with the, the discussion surrounding him of, wow, yeah, he was great in New England. And again, an all-time great uh, in NFL history, but mm-hmm. so much of that was with Tom Brady. And after Tom Brady departed, the record was like beyond just mediocre, like bad. Um, with Brady, record of 219 and 64 for a 774 winning percentage without Tom Brady, well below 580 and now 92 for a 465 winning percentage. Um, I think the NFL's taking stock of the winning percentage or or, or how teams... Uh, compete when they go overseas to play in that London mm. game against a Jaguars team that's acclimated, is playing their second consecutive <laughs> London game. And I think early returns are not so well. The Bills look like not the Buffalo Bills no. team that we've seen for four weeks on those first couple of drives. Like they're, what did they have? Like four total uh, three and outs all season good. long. Yeah. And then their first two of the game, yep. three and outs. They lose another huge part of that defense with mm-hmm. Matt Milano seemingly out for the season with the broken leg joining Trey White on the sidelines. I don't feel any differently, honestly, about the Buffalo Bills and, and them being near the top of the pecking order in the mm. AFC after that game. Because I, I, I really do think that's such an outsized advantage for a team having, what, two days to acclimatize yep. and another team being in week number two sure. of, of the that time zone and understanding what a 9.30 a.m. Eastern game feels like. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't look at it because of yesterday's game. I just think for all we talk about the Bills and their offense and Josh Allen and everything there, and rightfully so, it's a talented group. They need their defense to be great, to mm-hmm. win, and so much of the conversation was about, I talked about all last week, about getting Trey White back. You lose another massive piece there, and I know part of it is that Vaughn Miller's coming back, so he can kind of counteract a bit there, but but it's not anywhere close to what Milano gives you on, on a three-down basis. So I think that... It's not the game that makes me think less of the Bills. And honestly, because of the way the AFC is shaking out, I don't actually know that I drop them any lower in my pecking order, mm-hmm. but I definitely have a bigger gap between the Chiefs and everyone else. The Bills were like that buffer team for yeah, me. I'm fair. sitting there saying, okay, how close are the Bills to the Chiefs? And that's going to depend. That's going to tell me how far ahead the Chiefs are of everybody else. And I don't think they're that close right now. It's, it's complete descending and descending. Chiefs, we saw that first game. Nobody mm-hmm. could catch a pass. They're figuring it out. Bills Bills, it feels like it's kind of going the other way here. Yeah, I throw the Bills in with the Dolphins, Ravens. Uh, the Ravens, who just it can't beat the Steelers. Dolphins, I don't know what to make of. I have to sit here and tell them they're great and it's amazing and yeah. they're a talented team. I also feel like I'm just waiting for them to really, and I know they put up 70, but can you, can you, can you hang with a good team? I'd like mm-hmm. to see that from and uh, like the Giants. I know they put the they beat the wheels off them and they have the ten fastest plays in the NFL this season. We all saw the stats, but the Dolphins for how impressive they've looked, mm-hmm. still still waiting to be a little more impressed. I got to be honest. Well, and the Bengals are back in the mix. Honestly, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow has against a, a three touchdown game against the the Arizona Cardinals. The the AFC outside of the the Chiefs, who are still the Chiefs, they're they're very Chiefian. <laughs> Outside of the Chiefs, I mean, who the hell knows? The Steelers are three and two. Say mm-hmm. what you will, yeah, and rightly back, so, yeah. about that offense. That's still one of the most fearsome defenses in the NFL. And, oh, and TJ Watt, Watt, that play to end the game was so cool. He rips his helmet off. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, Steelers. They, the thing about the Steelers is they have that impressive floor. 
Mm-hmm. And we've talked about it all the time with Tomlin. I feel like we keep waiting for the wheels to totally fall off with them. And it just never does. And when you're able to keep the floor that well, you know, when the worst version of your season is eight wins, there's a lot of room to go up from there. So I just, I, I think that's what you have to, what, what you have to say about the Steelers. Yeah. It's not a, a, a team that you'd be all that psyched about uh, watching from an entertainment standpoint. No. But who cares? They win football games, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And I, I suppose there's room to grow offensively. Although I, I'm, I'm pretty confident they're not going to be throwing up 35 points a game. No, I'm not. I'm not confident about that at all. I would not. Uh, would not take that wager. Um, Anthony Richardson loses malpractice. What's going on there? Are they trying to run him into the ground? All these injuries are on design run plays. I understand that's part of what he is. This guy's not Kyler Murray. Okay. This is a guy who, and I understand some of this is proof in the pudding. He has been hurt three different times. now. I understand that, but he's only played four games. Yeah. That should not be a guy that is having a worse injury track record than Kyler Murray. And we talked about this with Josh Allen early on in his bills career, the idea of design runs for a big mobile quarterback. Now I understand part of what the Colts are saying here is we don't know if he's Josh Allen so let's run him into the ground a bit and see how this goes but the other part of it is you just paid Jonathan Taylor so as part of that to give Richardson Mm -hmm. a little more life a little more luck a little more of a security blanket I I am crushed that he's hurt because the every glimpse I get of him I'm saying oh this is great we should have more and then there's just always less well uh, but there is Gardner Minshew, who, I, I mean, you look him. around I do love the him. NFL landscape and the number of teams without viable backups or with starting quarterbacks who are not Gardner Minshew quality. Oh like how, ma- how many situations could Gardner Minshew step into and be an improvement? Yeah. Uh, I think there's more than a few. And For he's sure. he's doing a better job of uh, not just holding the fort, but getting the Colts victories as they move uh, above 500 to 3-2. and two. And, and, yeah, Jonathan Taylor's back and signs the, the contract extension. But Zach Moss was a beast Big on the ground, 165 yards, a couple of touchdowns uh, as well. I feel um, like a lot of people in Buffalo were surprised by that. They didn't know he was allowed to do that. Yeah, <laughs> he certainly is. And was certainly uh, a nice surprise for the Colts yesterday. We'll talk to Peter King. After 8 o'clock as we get back into uh, all things NFL. Uh, Coming up next, though, we'll get back into day one of a million of the NHL season tonight with a triple header on Sportsnet, including Connor Bedard into Pittsburgh to take on Sidney Crosby, uh, Evgeny Malkin, and Eric Carlson. That and a whole lot more next. The Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Anders, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.